My name is Bryce Hales. I'm the pastor here. I'm so glad you're here uh, at Resurrection of Sea this morning on Easter Sunday. Uh, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open um, with me to John chapter 20. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. There may be one um, near you on the ground. There's a blue Bible. And uh, you can follow along with me there in John 20 on page 906. And if you are uh, willing and able, let me invite you to stand with me as we read God's word together this morning. John chapter 20, starting in, in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had, reached to the, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one, of, one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, 
unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the marks of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and, do not, and, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not, be, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray this morning that as we give our attention to your word, that our hearts and minds um, would be filled not with my words, but with the truth of the resurrection, that we might understand more fully the reality that has come into the world because death has been undone in Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. Well, it's Easter, so let's talk about the resurrection. All right? <laughs> the question I want to I ask this morning is, what difference does the resurrection make? What difference? Jesus rose from the dead. So what? All around the world today, there are people celebrating Easter. Some of us are celebrating with egg hunts. Some of us are celebrating by going to church or going out to brunch. All around the world, there are people today celebrating Easter who have no idea what difference the resurrection of Jesus makes in their lives. I uh, have a friend who owns a bar. He's an atheist. And uh, even though he's an atheist, he closes his bar to observe Easter Sunday. I asked him why. He didn't know. He didn't know why he closed on Easter. <laughs> I heard a story about a college professor who is a convinced atheist, but he says, you know, I'm a, uh, you know, I follow the facts wherever they take me, and I've, I've, I've read the eyewitness accounts, I've looked at the evidence. I think that the best, you know, it's as likely that Jesus rose from the dead as any other historical events. And so I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but, but he's an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. He said, you know, the world's a weird place, and, and you know, maybe there's one anomaly, <laughs> right? Weird stuff happens in the world that we live in. The world is full of people who believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but have no idea why it matters, and I know because I was one of them. I've been a Christian, uh, I mean, almost as long as I can remember, and I believed in the fact of the resurrection. I mean, I was even a pastor, and I believed, I was sure, the, the, I believe in the resurrection as a historical fact. But what difference does it actually make in my life? You know, I thought, well, the Bible's true, and the, the really important thing is that Jesus died. Jesus died on the cross, that my sins are forgiven. And I thought, the thought of the resurrection as like a, a bonus. It's nice that it happened, but... If it didn't, if it's not true, it's not the end of the world. But you know, the Bible says, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead, we are to be pitied above all people. What he's saying is, if Jesus hasn't raised from the dead, you are wasting your time. 
I mean, if you're a Christian and uh, Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, you are wasting your life. Let's just be honest. If, you're, if, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead right now, you are wasting your time. You should not come back next week. You should get up and leave right now if the resurrection isn't true. What I want you to see this morning is the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection is the linchpin of human history. It's the one event that makes sense of the entirety of human history. And it's the one event that will change every single detail of your life. What difference does the resurrection make? Well, I saw this week a video. A friend sent me. Actually, he said, this, you will use this in your sermon on Easter Sunday. And I, I watched the video. I said, yeah, I'm going to use that. <laughs> this is the video. There's a, a researcher. He's being interviewed. I think he's an anthropologist. And he's talking about um, recovering artifacts from the Titanic. You know, I think, that, I think it's said that the Titanic sunk, like, or they, they found the wreckage of the Titanic like 27 years ago, and they're still recovering um, evidence from the Titanic. And he says in this, in this interview, he says there is a particular kind of stench that is associated with items who come out of, off of the Titanic. He says they're, they've been wet, they're, uh, they're rusty, they're rotten, and he says, it smells like a kind of death you have never experienced before. And you can picture these researchers in this lab. They're, they're surrounded by um, these artifacts. And he said, it's like, a, it's like a putrid alien kind of death smell. You've never smelled anything quite so horrible. But then they discovered these <laughs> satchels of perfume. And he said, we're in this lab and it smells like death, and somebody opens a leather satchel, and there's a glass vial, and they open the glass vial, and out of the vial comes the smell of sweetness and fruitiness, and it's delicious, and this researcher begins to weep, and he says, it was like the fragrance of heaven began to move through the room and overwhelm the stench of death, and for a moment, for just a moment, the ship was alive again. That's the resurrection. It means that the fragrance of heaven has overwhelmed the stench of death and decay. What does that mean? Sounds great, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> Two years ago, there was a terrorist attack in San Bernardino. And um, you all know this. The New York Times, and the next day, the New York Times ran an editorial on the front page for the first time since the 1920s. And uh, this is what the New York Times said in response to this terrorist attack. All people feel sorrow and righteous fury about the latest slaughter of innocents in California. They're saying it is right to be sad and angry when that sort of thing happens in the world that we live in. But because of the resurrection, that is not the final word. Death and decay and the sadness and anger that we feel are not the final word. Last Sunday, last Sunday there were two terrorist attacks in Egypt. And uh, bombs were set off in two churches while Christians worshipped on Palm Sunday. The latest I saw, 40 people have... Um, you know, been counted, 40 people died. There's probably more in the hospital who won't make it. That happened last Sunday. 
on Monday, the following day, because it's Holy Week and some Christians that own buildings uh, meet for worship every day of the week on Holy Week, on Monday night, a pastor preached a sermon, an Egyptian pastor preached a sermon, and the title of his sermon was A Message to Those Who Kill Us. And these were the three points in his sermon. Thank you. We love you. We're praying for you. You know, he didn't think about that for like six months and think, wow, that'd be really powerful, right? People died. Hours later, he preaches a sermon and says, thank you. I'm not being disingenuous when I say thank you because when you kill us, it allows us to participate in the sacrifice of our Lord. And I can't believe he said this. He said, you know, the truth is not that many people want to come to church on Monday of Easter week. And I go, I've been to people's house three, four times. They don't come to church. But when you kill us, the church is full. So thank you. And then he said, we love you. We don't hate you. We respond to killing us with love. And because we love you, we are praying for you. We are praying that you will experience the resurrection life that we have experienced because of our Savior. That is the scent of heaven overwhelming the stench of death. The resurrection of Jesus means that God is making all things new, that God is breathing life into the world that we live in. The resurrection means that the fragrance of heaven is overwhelming the stench of death. Listen, I know that we are skeptical people. I know that we've been told that uh, we shouldn't believe. You know, we don't believe in miracles. This is the 21st century. Um, I know that the simplest explanation for the events that I just read, the, the events, you know, narrating the, the resurrection of Jesus, the simplest explanation to most of us is something like this. Uh, Jesus' followers, they thought he was going to be the one, he was going to do great things for them, and then he was killed, and their lives were ruined, and they were brokenhearted, and they were crushed. And they were just so sad that they, they began to say, well, maybe Jesus is alive. He's alive in our hearts and his spirit is still with us. And they began to talk like that. And this you know, kind of story they told themselves to help themselves feel better began to grow and grow into a myth that they grew. And then decades later, people wrote down these stories and they were just confused. And, and they said that Jesus was actually alive when, when they never had meant that all along. You know, that, I mean, that's a very common idea in the world that we live in today. But what I want you to see in this passage that we just read is this, that Jesus' most devoted followers, their response to the resurrection, if we can be clear about one thing, is that they did not expect it, right? They were not, they went to the tomb and they saw it was empty and they were confused. They thought, oh man, they killed him and now there's this hoax and their body is gone and what is going on? If the resurrection is a hoax, it would have to have been perpetrated by these people. And they went to the tomb that first Easter Sunday, not expecting to see resurrection, not making up stories about the resurrection. They went to this tomb, you know, to weep, to mourn. And so the question is not so much, do you believe in the resurrection? I mean, that's an important question. But the question, the more important question, I think, is this. Have you met the risen Jesus? Have you met the risen Jesus? Um, you know, all around the world, there are Christians and others who believe that the resurrection is a historical fact, and it makes no difference in their life. Believing in the resurrection as a historical fact is like, 
believing that George Washington was the president, of, first president of the United States. I mean, it's true, and it does not, I've never met anybody who said that changed my life when I found out that George Washington was the first president, all right? But if you meet the risen Christ, that has the power to change your life. If you enter into relationship with him, that will change you. Have you met the risen Jesus? How will you respond to the resurrection? I want you to see very quickly three responses to the resurrection in this passage. Three uh, people, groups of people, respond, the first responders to the resurrection. And what we see in this passage are three stunned responses to the resurrection. First, we see Mary. Mary, she comes to the tomb early on Sunday morning. She comes to the tomb not because she's so eager to be the first witness of the resurrection, right? She comes because she is brokenhearted. And Jesus has been killed as the, uh, as the Jewish Sabbath was setting in. And so they had buried his body in haste. They've probably not done a great job. And Mary says, now that the Sabbath is over, she gets there on Sunday morning. It's still dark. She says, I'm going to do him the dignity of giving him a proper burial. And she goes into the tomb, and she is um, not overwhelmed and, and glad at the resurrection. She is, it, it's like an insult. You know, they killed him, and now his body's gone. Can you believe this? And she sees a man, and she assumes that he's a gardener. Um, why, if, you know, you could look at that and say, well, come on. Like, if she knew Jesus and he really rose, surely she would have... Um, you know, recognized him. Well, have you ever been to like a funeral and you're in the memorial service and the person you think is in the box walks in the back door? Like, what would you think? I didn't know he had a twin, right? Um, why doesn't she recognize him? Because she didn't expect him to raise from the dead. And she recognizes him when? When he says her name. She says, he says, Mary. And she recognizes him. Jesus, teacher, master. And it says she clings to him. She's heartbroken, but everything changes at the moment when Jesus calls her by name. What about you? Have you heard Jesus call your name? Um, as a pastor, one of the realities of my life is that I often sit with people when they have just received bad news. And, um, I, man, I have sat with people who have been rejected. I have sat with people, I've sat with college students who have said, I just found out my parents are getting a divorce. And I'm never going home again, because it won't be home when I get there. I knew, a, um, I knew a young woman whose dad died when she was like three. And she used to say, I think I can remember him. But I'm not sure. She carried that ache with her into every situation in her life. I have heard the stories of people who have had their hearts broken, of lovers leaving, of marriages ending, of the one that you love saying, I don't want to see you again. And what I want you to hear is this. Jesus knows your name. He doesn't count you as like one of those people walking around down there. He knows your name. Have you heard the voice of Jesus calling your name? Will you recognize him? I heard the story about a mom, and she was concerned because her teenage daughter had 
made some new friends. She had, fought, they had, she had fallen in with this crowd of friends, and they were, she was really concerned about the influence they were going to have on her life. They weren't like punks or anything. They were Christians. This mom, oh gosh, like, oh, they're so, they're so weird, and what are they going to do to my daughter? And uh, her daughter was getting up early to read the Bible before she went to ch- uh, high school in the morning. And one night, the whole family was asleep, and it's about 10.30 in the evening. And this mom says, I better figure out what's going on here. And she picks up her daughter's Bible. She was surprised to learn that there's an old part and a new part. She'd never read the Bible, and she says, well, I guess I'll read the new part. You know, let's get the the latest information here. (laughs) She began to read in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark. And by 2.30 in the morning, she's halfway through the book of Luke. With tears streaming down her face, she says, Jesus, I never knew. I never knew that you're really alive. I never knew, Jesus, how beautiful you are. She heard the voice of Jesus in the words of Scripture calling her name, and she recognized him. What about you? Have you heard... In the words of the Bible, Jesus calling to you, and have you responded? Have you met the living Jesus? Mary hears Jesus call her name, and she responds to the resurrection by holding on to him. She says, I am not going to let you go again, Jesus. That's Mary. But secondly, we see uh, Jane, or John and Peter. And what you have to, uh, I love this. <laughs> Um, verses 3 and 4 of John 20 I think are part of the reason I believe in the Bible um, it, it, you just can't make this up if you, uh, if, I, I, let me say it like this if you were making this up you wouldn't have put those verses in there because what you have to understand is that John, you know the gospel of John is written by a guy named John uh, that's deep right um, <laughs> but John doesn't refer to himself he doesn't say I did this he's kind of shy or modest and so he refers to himself as the other disciple, he, he, when he says the disciple whom Jesus loved, whom Jesus loved, that's John. And so he says um, in verses 3 and 4, he says, So Peter went out with the other disciple, that's John, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I think it's funny that John says, hey, just for the record, and it's really subtle, but I want everybody to know that I'm faster than Peter and I got there first. (laughs) You would never put that in the Bible if you were making up a story. But it's great that it's there. But then Peter, uh, it says John gets to the tomb first, but he waits. He waits outside, and Peter's just brash, and Peter runs right in, and it says, um, you know, they see that the tomb is empty, and they don't understand. And it says, for they did not yet understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. They just went home. <laughs> like, they completely missed it. You know, there's over 7 billion people alive on the planet right now. Just for fun this week, I asked Google, how many people have ever lived? And I found this article from the BBC that, um, that said this. Estimates indicate that about 107 billion people have ever lived. This means that we are nowhere near close to having more alive than dead. In fact, there are 15 dead people for every person still alive. 
But in 100 years, all 7 billion of us will be dead also, right? 107 billion people, and every one of us is going to die and stay dead, except one. And Peter and John were the second and third people to witness that fact, and they just went home. Like, come on, guys, what? what's going on? Listen, if the resurrection isn't true, we should all just go home. Don't come back next week. Don't come back for Christmas. Let's just go home and eat our chocolate bunnies and be done with it. But if the resurrection is true, we can't just go home like it doesn't matter. The only re- reason that Peter, that we can respond to, to, uh, to the resurrection like Peter and, John, uh, Peter and John did is because we're confused like they were. Right? That's the only reason to just go home and whatever. They were confused. We can only respond like that if we don't get it. But thirdly, Thomas. Okay, you have you have the the Mary shows the belief uh, or the response of belief, and John and Peter show the response of confusion. But what about the response of doubt or skepticism? Thomas, Thomas is the patron saint of everyone who has ever missed the moment. Uh, it says that Jesus appeared in a room, and there were ten disciples there. Judas is gone, and I guess um, Thomas had something better to do. Um, and he's just not there. And, and the ten apostles, they, they, you know, Jesus appears to them, and they witness the resurrected Jesus. And then they go, and they tell Thomas, Thomas, we've seen him. We've seen Jesus. He's alive. Can you believe it? And Thomas says, unless I see it with my own eyes, Unless I see the, the, the nail prints in his hands, unless I stick my finger in those nail holes, I will never, ever believe. We call him Doubting Thomas. Maybe we should call him Skeptical Thomas, 21st century Thomas. He's just like you and me. I'm not going to believe it unless I see it with my own eyes. And if you doubt the resurrection, I want to encourage you to be as bold as Thomas and put your doubt into words. I mean, Mary's response to the resurrection is great. But if you don't believe in the resurrection, don't be like John and Peter where they just go home and, I don't know, don't just like live in the vagueness of that agnosticism. Have the courage to put that doubt, that skepticism into words. Thomas says, unless I put my finger in the nail holes, I'll never believe. And eight days later, now there's 11 disciples there together. And Jesus appears and says, Thomas. And he shows Thomas the holes in his hands. And says, Thomas, come and put your finger in the nail holes. What's he doing? Is he saying, Thomas, come on, man. Like, get with the program. No, he's not shaming Thomas. He's meeting Thomas's hurt. He's meeting, he's answering Thomas's grief. You have to see. You know, and Thomas says, I will never believe how hurt he is. You know, Thomas is saying, I gave up my life to follow Jesus. And I thought, I thought he was going to be the one. And he died. And these people come and say, he's raised from the dead. I'm not going to be fooled again. And he is heartbroken. Like most men, he expresses his grief and anger. So my wife tells me I do anyway. <laughs> he says, 
says, there's no way I'm going to believe that. He's hurt, and Jesus comes to him and reveals himself and answers his hurt. Exactly. Exactly. You know, when the um, tsunami hit the coast of Japan in 2011, everyone who could uh, fled the area. There was an article about a man who was at work outside of the disaster zone when the tsunami hit. And unlike everybody else who fled the other direction, that man said, my wife is at home. And so he fought through the debris and the wreckage to get as close as we could back to his village. But you know, when a tsunami comes and wipes out your village, all the landmarks are gone. <laughs> you can't find your house anymore. And somehow he, he, he came across some scuba gear. And he put on the scuba gear, there's a picture of him in this article saying, you know, going like this, like this is how high the water was. And it's filled with dirt and filth and debris and cars getting pushed back and forth like they're toys and spilled sewage lines spouting filth into this water. And he says he put on the scuba gear and he dove in and he somehow found his house. And he got into his house and in the upper story was his wife. She's in this air pocket and she's running out of air. And this man was able to save his wife. And he gets her to safety. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that would do for their marriage? <laughs> what a husband. He dove into the filth and wreckage and chaos, and he fought through it all to find her. My husband loves me. And that's what the resurrection says to you. God didn't wait up in heaven to just see how it all plays out. He dove into the filth and chaos of this world to come and find you and heal you and bring you back. As a pastor, I talk to people all the time. I talk to people who tell me that they came back to church for their kids, that uh, we wanted our kids to have something that could kind of get them through hard times. It's a great reason to come to church. It's not a great reason to stay at church. I, I read a story about a couple of doctors, and uh, the two doctors who um, they work with children who have cancer. What an awful job, right? Uh, they said every week we lose one of our kids. They said we tell them all that they're going to heaven. They told the interviewer we don't actually believe in heaven, but it seems to help them. Friends, I'm here to tell you that if you meet the risen Jesus, you won't just get a placebo effect. You get the real thing if you meet the risen Jesus. The fragrance of heaven is overwhelming the stench of death. It's not a placebo. It's the real thing. Jesus is breathing life into the darkness of our world. He is changing our relationship to death. The resurrection could, or the death could no more contain Jesus than one single light bulb could contain the output of an entire nuclear power plant. Jesus is changing the relationship of our world and ourselves to death. Last week we celebrated an anniversary. It was the 72nd anniversary of the martyrdom of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor. And um, he was, when World War II broke out, 
he was studying in New York, and uh, he was safe, and, but he said, I cannot stay and remain in safety while my people are going through the horror that is happening in my home country. And so he left the safety of his studies to go back home, and, uh, and he, he began to pastor his people, and he was involved in a plot to assassinate Hitler. Remember that, that bomb under the table that failed to, uh, failed to detonate? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was part of the conspiracy. And when the bomb didn't go off and he was discovered, he was immediately arrested and imprisoned. And typically he would have been executed immediately, but he had a relative who was a high-ranking official in the Nazi government who was able to uh, kind of stay his execution. And so I think for a couple of years, Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived in a prisoner, you know, in a prison camp, and he began to, to uh, pastor the people there, and one week, one week before the Allied forces freed that prison camp, Hitler, as he grew increasingly desperate, sent the order, and on Sunday morning, April 8th, 1945, Pastor Bonhoeffer had been leading a worship service in prison. And when the service ended, two soldiers came in and they said, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, make ready and come with us. Everybody knew what that meant. And he turned to one of the men sitting there in prison with him and said, the end has come. As he began to walk out this, the door, he actually turned around and said, better yet, it's only the beginning. This is just the beginning for me. Friends, the resurrection means that death is not the final word. It's not the final word. The fragrance of heaven has been released. And in the resurrection of Jesus, the fragrance of heaven is overwhelming the stench of death and decay and even now you can begin to live in light of what will ultimately be your reality too if you are in Christ that the sting of death has been removed and death will not have its final word because Jesus has been raised from the dead hallelujah Christ is risen he is risen indeed will you pray with me Jesus, we are so glad that you're alive. That death is coming undone in your resurrection. And that as the first fruits of what is to come, we can now celebrate and sing and praise because you are alive. Jesus, I pray that as we worship here this morning, that we would smell the fragrance of heaven that is overwhelming death and overwhelming our lives. That you would help us to cling to you like Mary. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.